As we studied through the book of 1 Samuel, if there is a psalm related to the particular uh, account of the narrative of David, then we're going to study that particular psalm. Well, Psalm 27 is not directly related to 1 Samuel 24, although it seems to be very close and it could have been written after the events of 1 Samuel 24. Well, what happened in 1 Samuel 24? David is being chased by Saul. He runs to the spring of Engedi. It's a spring that you can still visit. If you go to Israel, you should go there. One million people go there every year to see David's spring, is what they call it. David's spring. You can go there and you can see it. It hasn't changed. There are records, archaeological records of this spring dating back thousands of years, even before David. The location is the same. This is where David was. He was in a cave hiding and Saul chased him. He had 600 men. Saul came with 3,000, a whole army. Filled up this valley. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. David is in the cave by God's providence. And David doesn't kill him, but he cuts off a piece of his robe. And he tells him, I could have killed you, but I didn't. May the Lord judge between me and you. And Saul agreed at that moment to stop chasing him, and he left. So God delivered David. Well, David had great confidence, and we see that all through the Psalms. The Psalms should be your prayer book. Throughout the history of the church, the church has viewed all of the Psalms, all of the Bible indeed should be used for prayer, but the Psalms in particular have been viewed as the prayer book of the Christian Calvin famously said that there's not a single emotion, it's paraphrased, but there's not a single emotion or human experience that isn't addressed in the Psalms, and it's true. A friend of mine encouraged me this week that he's praying a psalm every day just to help him kind of start his prayer life once again. He had fallen off the train, had not been praying regularly, and the Psalms were helping him to pray again. And I offer that up to you as well. If you're wondering, how can I start praying again? Just pray one psalm a day. Think about the words that you're praying. Because the psalms have been the prayer book of the church for two millennia. Why is that? Because we see God's faithfulness declared throughout the psalms. This is Psalm 27. Psalm 27 in light of 1 Samuel 24, David in the cave and Saul chasing him. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Psalm 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. 
I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, your word is so precious to us. We know that even with our very best efforts, we can only grasp the very tip of the iceberg of the truth contained in this psalm. And yet we pray that you would enable us to do so. Lord, that your spirit would do his work, that we would be encouraged and strengthened as your truth is proclaimed, that you would speak comfort to our souls and encourage us in this life, and that you would be glorified in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27, a famous psalm, a wonderful psalm. Some of you may have memorized this psalm. It can be divided easily into three sections. I want to show you that before we begin. If you look at verses 1 through 6, we see David expressing his confidence. His confidence that God is going to protect him and keep him. If you look at verses 7 through 12, we see that he turns to prayer. He goes from declaring God's faithfulness and confidence in verse 7, transitioning to a time of prayer. He's praying directly to the Lord, to Yahweh. And then he finishes again with declarations of confidence in verses 13 and 14. In the Hebrew, if you look at the very first word of the psalm, after of David, the very first word of the psalm is Yahweh, which is translated the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that, it's Yahweh. So the first word of the psalm is Yahweh. Guess what? Look at the very last word of the psalm. Same in English as it is in Hebrew. Yahweh. I think David is doing something in a literary manner to show us that everything in his life, from beginning to end, is good because of Yahweh. He has courage because of Yahweh. He will not lose heart because of Yahweh. His confidence is based on Yahweh, the Lord, our God. So let's begin looking. We're not going through the whole psalm. It's just too much this evening, but I want to go through at least five or six of the verses. This first section is my goal. 
Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Doesn't that remind you of Paul in 2 Corinthians? When he says, I'm not going to lose heart because I have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lose heart. He said we take courage in chapter 5. So we take courage. He said it twice in 2 Corinthians 5. David seems to be saying much the same. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's so similar that it makes me wonder if Paul is so inundated with the Word of God, especially the Psalms, maybe this Psalm, running through his mind. When he wrote 2 Corinthians 5, we'll have to ask him when we see him. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Remember, Yahweh is the personal name of the Almighty God. It's the name that uh, the Masoretic scribes would not even write down. They wouldn't write the four letters, the four Hebrew letters that comprise the word, the name Yahweh. They wouldn't write it. They thought it too holy. Of course, they wouldn't say it. They didn't even really know how to say it because they hadn't spoken it in a thousand years. But David still knew how to say Yahweh. The personal name of God. When was this name given to God? It was at the burning bush. When Moses, it was probably known before this, but Moses asked God, who should I say is sending me? And in Exodus, I believe 3.14, he says, tell them that I am has sent me. I am. In Hebrew, sounds looks similar to the four letters that make up Yahweh. So it was held to be holy, this name, throughout the history of the Jews. The Masoretes, as I said, never wrote it. They would just write the more common Elohim in place of it with some uh, notation that this was the name of God. So God uses a name with Moses that ceased kind of from the lips of his people. I think that's interesting. But we don't see that with David. Look at how many times you see the Lord in this psalm. David uses the name Yahweh freely. And in this very first sentence, the sentence starts with, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. And you probably remember that in Hebrew, the verb always comes first, then the rest of the sentence. So when that doesn't happen, there's a literary special thing that's happening right there. And this is one of those moments. He doesn't put the verb first. He puts the Lord's name first, Yahweh. Yahweh is my light. Yahweh is my stronghold. Verse 4, I've asked of Yahweh, and that will I seek, to dwell in the house of Yahweh, to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Teach me your way, O Yahweh. Wait for Yahweh. 
Wait for Yahweh. David has no problem saying God's name. I think this is one of the things that encourages me most about David's prayers is that he talks to God. When you pray, pray like David. Talk to God. Call out his name. We have many more titles for God, but there are only very few names. And this is the personal name of Almighty God. Call out to the Lord. Call out to him freely. Whenever you're praying, you should start like David with God. We are taught to pray often uh, by using the Lord's Prayer. And you know, the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer are all about God and his kingdom. There are many ways to pray, of course. I don't know that... uh, You can look through Scripture and see one way that is better than another way. But it is something of importance that when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, He gave them a very simple prayer. I would encourage you, think through the Lord's Prayer when you pray as well. Notice how you start with Yahweh, our Father. That's the Lord. Start with Him and pray our Father in heaven. What did we say? Holy be your name. It's all about God. The first petition is, God, we want your name to be holy. So when praying, like David, start with God. Start with Almighty God and focus on God. You'll find that when you pray focused on God, that your needs really do come into proper perspective. When you just jump right into your petitions, God, I'm feeling so bad right now. Please heal my body. God, there's this relationship that's bad. God, we need money for this. God, we need this. And this car broke. And all of these things, when you jump right into that, you're not praying in the pattern. I mean, pray. If that's the only prayer you've got, pray it. God will hear you. He has grace with his children. But in your time of quiet prayer, start with God. Focus on God. And when you're in distress... Also, start with God. Remember who He is. Remember His attributes. The very first petition is, Holy be your name. All through Psalm 27, we see David proclaiming the attributes of God. His character. You should remember His character. You should remind yourself of who God is. Just want to encourage you with Psalm 103, just the first five verses, very quickly. I don't know why I said very quickly. Nothing is very quick about my preaching. Psalm 103. Look at how David instructs his own soul. This is one thing that praying through the Psalms does for you. You're telling your soul what to believe. You're telling your soul the truth. Like David did. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's odd. He's talking to himself. If you talk to yourself, don't be ashamed of it. David did it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forgives all your iniquity. Heals all your diseases. Redeems your life from the pit crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his way known to Moses. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you see how David is praying? He's praying everything about God and all that God has done. When it comes to prayer, even in great distress, and you can probably rest assured that most of David's prayers in the Psalms that we have are born out of a time of affliction and distress. So when you are distressed, start with God. Pray to our Father, to our Lord, to Yahweh. This is almost certainly Psalm 27 written in a time of very great distress in David's life. If it was when he was in Gedi, at En Gedi, then you know he's looking out of this cave and seeing a vast army spread out before him in the valley below the cave. They've come to kill him. This was a dark time, a confusing time. And darkness has always been a kind of a picture of chaos in the scriptures. You remember in Genesis 1 that, that before there was light, it's, it's a picture of, of the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. There's no light yet. We don't see what's happening. And then the first command of Jesus is, of God is, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke light and brought clarity to the situation. David calls God his light and his salvation. The Lord is my light. So what's the purpose of light? I mean, I hate to, to state the obvious, but have you ever been outside and you hear a noise and you reach for something to shine a light on it because you don't know what it is and it startled you? That's the purpose of a light. It shows you what's there. It shows you clearly what is there so that you're not afraid. A few nights ago, actually it was last night, we heard a little noise in the bedroom. And Mary Kay said, do you hear that? I said, I think it's the dog. Like, I'm not real good at getting up when I'm asleep. I've slept through an earthquake before. She can tell you that story. She wasn't happy because we had kids in the house. But I said, I think it's the dog. She said, no, I don't think it's the dog. And then I heard it as well. And what did I do? I said, I'm going to turn on the light. And I quietly reached over and flipped the light on. And sure enough, there was a mouse in our house. It was crazy. I wasn't afraid anymore. She was afraid, but I wasn't afraid anymore. But the light brought clarity to the situation before we didn't know what it was. It also reminds me of my children. And if, if you've got children, then you understand this. Or if you were a child, you remember this. When there's something wrong at night, when there's something scary in the dark, the first thing you do is turn on the light. Sometimes people sleep with the lights on because they're afraid of what's in the dark. Well, David, in all of his distress, felt great darkness, and he calls God his light. 
God brings clarity. He brings vision. He brings eternal focus to what would otherwise be chaotic and scary. Many people choose rather than to walk in the light of God and His Word, to just walk in darkness, to just be scared and not call on God. They live in anxiety and distress. But the only one who can shed true light in any person's life is God. Look at how often it's used in just the Psalms. This is a small section, a small sample of Scripture mentioning this principle. Psalm 18.28 For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Figuratively, of course, this is true. But really, it is true. If you're confused, you need to look to God, to the light, to Christ. Psalm 36.9 For with you is the fountain of life in your light. Do we see light? Sounds a lot like John 1. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, do we see light? Psalm 4, verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Finally, last one. Psalm eighty-nine, fifteen. Blessed are the people who know the feastal shout. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Well, how do we see the light? We see the light by the word of God. We see the light by seeing Christ in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit opening the scriptures to our souls. To understand God's truth. To see Jesus. Look again at John chapter 1. John is of all of the Gospels, the Gospel that uses this light and darkness um, contrast over and over and over again. And of course, he said in John 1 that Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you understand that nothing Satan does can overcome the light? Nothing. The smallest amount of light is enough light to light up darkness. The smallest match can light up a vast cave with light. Talk to Ed about being in a cave thousands of feet underground. He'll tell you what that's like. Sometimes it gets dark. Light changes things. No amount of darkness can be or can overcome the light. And that light is Jesus Christ. Do you remember Jesus later in John says, I am the light of the world. So this is special. I am in Greek is ego eimi. And it's not important to remember this particularly, but I'm going to show you something in the Old Testament as well. Ego eimi means I am. And Jesus says I am seven or eight times in the book of John. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, etc. And my favorite is when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus and he said, who is it you're seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember his reply? I am. And what happened? They all fell down 
they all fell to the ground. Why? Because they're magic words? No. Jesus, for that moment, displayed his divine nature, and they must submit themselves, they must fall to the ground in the face of the glory of Jesus Christ. He said, ego eimi in Greek. He said, I am. And before you think I'm just making too much of this, if you look at the Greek Old Testament, written 200 years, or translated 200 years before Christ was born, by Jewish rabbis, by Jewish scribes, translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and you go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God said, tell them that I am has sent you. In the Greek it says, tell them that ego eimi has sent you. So Jesus is declaring his name. I am the light of the world. This is Christ. He is the light. How do you get more of the light? You ask the Holy Spirit to transform your soul so that you can see Christ in the scriptures, that the glory of Jesus Christ might be displayed in your own soul clearly by the Holy Spirit through his word. This is how the light gives us courage. This is our salvation. Need I say again that the Hebrew word for salvation is based on the root Yeshua, God saves. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you understand that, that Yahweh, that Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, is your light and your salvation, you have nothing to fear on this earth. Nothing. And he basically repeats the same thing again. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is the first time in the Psalms that the word stronghold or strength is used. And then it's used often after this. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The strength of my life. Again, Yahweh is the first word in this sentence. The Lord, Yahweh is my light. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And David knew about strongholds, didn't he? If this was written after Engedi, where was he? He was in a stronghold. He was in a high place where he could see out and see everything around him. There was no one who could sneak up on him. He had a safe place. When David writes about strongholds, he's writing from experience. He knows a stronghold. A stronghold kept him safe. A stronghold was reliable. A stronghold would not change. David knew he had a stronghold in Yahweh. Psalm 118, 14, he says the same. Yahweh, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And after making both proclamations, he says, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And this is the relationship. Knowing God is safety and strength for our souls. This banishes our fear. Does that mean that we're not going to have difficulties in life? Of course not. We are. We may even die. 
for faith in Christ. We may die of a terrible illness. But we don't have to fear because of our God, our strength, our salvation. I'm certain that Paul knew the Psalms well. He probably had much of the Old Testament memorized. He probably had many of the Psalms memorized, as did many Jews. Doesn't Romans 8.31 almost sound like a psalm when I read it to you? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I want you to have the confidence of David. When you leave tonight, remember that God is for you. If you're his child, he is for you. Tribulation may come. He is for you, not against you. If he sends you hardship, he's just burning away dross. He's he's taking the impurities and he's scraping them off the top so that you could be more pure and holy. But he is for you. And evil is still present. Evil is still real. In verse 2, we see this. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. There's going to be affliction that comes our way because we love Christ. In World War II, they said, if you're over the target, you can expect flack. For a Christian seeking to serve God, you can expect flack. You remember when uh, David told Joab to come close to the city walls so that um, Bathsheba's husband would be killed. And then he rebuked Joab for sending men close to the city walls. It was just a big part of the, the lie, but he said, don't you know when you get close to the city walls that you're going to be pelted with all kinds of weaponry? It's that same kind of relationship. When you are striving to serve God, you can expect an attack. You're over the target. When you're close to the enemy's gates, you can expect, expect attack. And our enemy is vicious. They desire to eat up your flesh. That's a very descriptive phrase David is using, and it's translated as plainly as it can be. Satan hates the people of God. And yet we will not fear. We will not be dismayed. Rather, we will have great courage because of our God. 
was hoping to have time to talk about so many times throughout the history of the church where God's people have been persecuted. Uh, I was going to speak of the Armenian genocide where the Turkish government killed over a million and a half people simply because they were Christian and wanted them out of their land. Where was God? He was with those people, even in the midst of their suffering. And God is always going to be with his people, even in the midst of suffering. And this is the way it will be until the end. The dragon who has been thrown down to earth is pursuing the woman who had been given, who had given birth to the male child. This is Revelation 12. It's just a picture of the church being pursued by the dragon. And again and again, God providing safety for the woman. The church will never be destroyed, no matter how great the assault of the enemy. Nobody is strong enough to snuff out the remnant of God. Even an army can't do it. And I'll close with verse 3. Though an army encamp about me, encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though wars arise against me, yet I will be confident. A whole army is against David. 3,000 men. He doesn't have near that many. He's outnumbered 5 to 1. He looks out and he sees an army spread out below the cave. 3,000 folks. Actually got Google Maps and mapped it out. And it literally fills the whole valley of En Gedi. If they're 6 feet from each other. Just sitting down around the water. So there's nowhere for David to go. When David looked out of the cave, there's nothing but the enemy. A whole army literally encamped against him, wanting to kill him. And what does he say? My heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. You see, courage and confidence, that's our heritage, saints. Courage and confidence, not fear. William Plumer, the old 19th century preacher, wrote, Courage is both a duty of man and a gift of God. We should sharply reprove ourselves for all disheartening timidity. If we duly fear God, all tormenting fear is idle. There is no cause for it. There is no getting on without intrepidity. We must all be heroic or we must perish. You think, well, that's a little dramatic. No, actually, spiritually, you must be heroic or you will perish. To go with God is to go in courage. God, your God, is able to defeat any enemy, to defeat any sickness, to defeat any obstacle with a breath, with less than a breath. We need to incline our hearts to God and not fear, especially when we're in dangerous times or we're in difficult times. When Martin Luther wrote this hymn, A Mighty Fortress, it was in the midst of very difficult times. There was a plague sweeping through Europe, and he wrote, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. 
the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The prince of darkness has power, but we don't tremble for him, saints. Be of good courage in this life. Turn your heart to the light, the light of the world, to Jesus Christ. Take heart in him. Start your day praying to God. End your day praying to God. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given us such wonderful psalms, such a glorious heritage of continuity through your scriptures. We see the light of Christ from the very beginning of the scriptures to the very end, shining light upon a dark and confused world and upon dark and confused hearts like ours. Lord, we pray that you would indeed, by your Spirit, shine light into every heart tonight. Encourage our souls. May we, like Paul, proclaim that there is nothing that we have to fear. Like David, may we, may we call out to God and be encouraged and be strengthened. We pray that you would be our light and our salvation. Lord, that we would not only know that this is true, but that we would know the light that we would know the glory of Jesus Christ. Just to, to glimpse a bit of that glory, Lord, will be enough for our lifetime. Lord, show us the truth of your word. And may we love our Savior. May we know him more. May our lives be committed to him. Be glorified in our lives and in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.